Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. Our theme this year is resolved. I am resolved, and we have uh, spent the uh, this year looking at the life of Joseph, and we're getting down close to the end of uh, the story. Uh, it only goes through Genesis chapter 50, and we're in uh, Genesis chapter 47 now, so uh, we should be finishing it up here pretty soon. But um, as as we contemplate what it means to be resolved. Um, I I spent some time thinking about it, and we've seen Joseph able to stay resolved throughout his life during all the difficulties and the the hard times and the good times and everything that happened in, in Joseph's life, all the trouble, all the trials, he was able to stay resolved. And as I as I thought about this and I, I contemplated it, I came to the conclusion that he was able to stay resolved because he never lost his focus. We live in a world today that is pulling us in so many different directions. We have, we have so much going on in our world today, and, and, and we can be pulled in so many different directions, and it's easy to lose our resolve because we lose our focus. Now, I believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt. I, I believe this, and I hope you do too, and that is this. Everyone, everyone has a purpose. God has a purpose for everyone. And I believe that. Uh, Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14. uh, For thou hast uh, possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. Now, can we go back to the to uh, verse 13, Chris? I, I want to talk about a couple of words here because th- th- this is th- this this verse is incredible. the The word reigns here literally means your kidneys. Okay, <clears throat> for thou hast possessed my kidneys. <laughs> Okay, no, literally that's what it means. But what he's referring to there is back when this was written, the people people thought that your soul, who you are on the inside, was located in your organs. So what he's saying is, for thou hast possessed my inner being. That that part of you that makes you who you are. You, God, has possessed my inner being. And thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The word covers there literally means to knit together. 
God has specifically knit your life unique. He has made you. He he knows and possesses the the inner being of who you are. And then he, he has covered me or he has knit me together in my mother's womb. God has made us individual, but he has given us each purpose. And we all have a purpose. And we need to understand that that God makes us that way. Now, that brings us to the question then, if if Joseph was resolved, then what was the purpose of his life? What was the purpose of Joseph's life? Now, now Joseph accomplished a lot of things. So, so his his purpose it's it's impossible to just bring it to one thing. But I'm going to do my best, and and I think God gives us a glimpse into the purpose of Joseph's life, the overall purpose. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, it says, "But as for you, you thought evil against against me, but God meant it unto good." to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people. Joseph's purpose. Now, again, he accomplished a lot of things throughout his life. But his overall purpose, and I believe he understood it to be, the fact that he would save the lives of literally millions upon millions of people. And as I thought on it for some time, and I've studied the life of Joseph now for for literally for months, probably over a year now, I've thought that this verse was referring to the nation of Israel. That he that the people referred to as being saved here, saving much people, was referring to the nation of Israel. But in Genesis chapter 47, there's a section in here that God gives us a glimpse into a further purpose that further explains this passage. So let's read Genesis chapter 47. In verses uh, uh, 5 and 6. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come uh, unto thee, and the land of Egypt uh, before thee, in the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. And in the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if thou knowest any uh, men, of activity among them, make them a ruler over my cattle. So here, Pharaoh is giving Joseph instructions that his family is supposed to go to Goshen, they are to live there, they are to dwell there, and that they are to basically take over. Skip down to verse 11. 
And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, and as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. In verses 13 to 26 is where it takes a turn. And the focus is no longer on Joseph and his family, but Joseph and Egypt. It's an interesting section that I think further explains Joseph's overall reason or purpose for being where God had him. Genesis chapter 47, let's read verse 13. And there was no bread in Egypt, in all the land, and the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all uh, the land of Canaan fainted for reason of famine. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us through your word, and Lord, that you would help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God is going to use Joseph to save the nation of Israel. Uh, At this time, the nation of Israel uh, is about 70 people. They came from the land of, of Canaan. They have moved to the, to the, to the uh, country of Egypt. They've, uh, Pharaoh uh, has given them the land of Goshen, which is the, the best of the best of the land available in Egypt. And Joseph was placed in, the, in that time in, 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 in position to save the future of the nation of Israel. In 400 years in the book of Exodus, when Moses leads the people out of Egypt, I have, I have seen theologians that estimate that, it's, that the population of Egypt, when they leave, excuse me, the population of Israel, when they leave Egypt, is anywhere between 1 and 3 million. Now, that's a big spread, but... That's 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 the argument or the, the 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 discussion that I've seen. So the nation of Israel in 400 years grows from a population of roughly 70 to well over a million in 400 years when they exit when they finally leave Egypt to go back to the Promised Land. <coughs> As I read this passage over and over and over, when I mean the passage, I'm talking about Genesis uh, chapter uh, 47, verses 13 and 26. As I read it over and over and over, trying to wrap my head around what God was trying to communicate to us or to, to me, really, is simply this. I need God. As I, as I read this passage over and over and over, I kept seeing the fact that I need to focus on God. I need God. 
the title of my message is we need to stay focused on God. And I want to I want to encourage you this morning. It, 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 it in our world today it is so easy, so easy to lose our focus. Because we can we allow the circumstances of life and all the troubles and all the trials and the the political things going on and the and all of the stuff in the world and and the sickness and the and the and the the, the covids and all of the weird things that have just seem over the last few years to just consume our thinking. It really boils down to this one thing. We need to stay focused on God. We need to have that ability to just put it away and say, no, I am going to stay focused on God. And I personally believe that is the one thing that set Joseph apart from anybody else is he was able to filter all all of the garbage of the world, filter it out, and just stay focused on God. The only way that Joseph was able to stay resolved is because he stayed focused. The only way that you and I are going to be able to stay resolved is to stay focused on God. It's really that simple. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 40, uh, excuse me, 24 to 27, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that, excuse me, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not so uncertainly, So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body, excuse me, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself may be a castaway. If I lose my focus, I will lose my resolve. Let, let me say that again. If I lose my focus, I will lose my resolve. A great example of this is King David. When did when did David fall? Let me let me rephrase that. When did David commit sin with Bathsheba? Okay, when he took his eyes off of the goal, because just before his sin with Bathsheba, it says that he did not go to battle when kings went to battle. He had lost his focus. And he allowed the things of this kingdom and his power and all of the, that to distract him. And he, when he got distracted, he lost his focus 
and he sinned and ruined the lives of many people. We need to be careful to keep our focus. As we look at this portion of Scripture, which I, again, I find very, very interesting, point number one here is they lived for themselves. When I say they, I'm referring to the Egyptians. The Egyptians lived for themselves. Let's read verse 13 again. And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of famine. The people were starving to death. And you say, but wait a second, your first point is they live for themselves. Let me, let me see if I can explain my reasoning behind this point. In Genesis chapter 41, verses 46 to 49, the Bible says this, And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. So, so where did he go? He went everywhere. Every, everywhere there was people, Joseph went. So he went through all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in Egypt, the land of Egypt. And he laid up the food in the cities, uh, uh, the food of the fields, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as <clears throat> the sand of the sea, every uh, very much until he left uh, numbering, for it was without number. My point is this. It was no secret what Joseph was doing. Everybody in Egypt saw Joseph coming and gathering and building silos, silo after silo after silo, and he was filling it with grain over and over and over. Yet the people lived for themselves in the moment. Nobody thought, huh, I wonder if this guy is right. Most of them probably thought he was crazy. But they live for themselves. All that they were concerned about at the time. Hey, this is we're hey, this is seven years of plenty. We we're making money hand over fist. And if their society is anything like our society, they were spending it faster than they were making it. And something tells me. That's probably exactly what was going on because, you know, the, the greed of men have never, has never changed. There's nothing new under the sun. And the people were living in the moment. They, all that they cared about what was going on today, their fancy chariots and their expensive homes and all of this stuff that they could accumulate. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but it doesn't mean a thing. 
And Joseph was setting out to save much people alive. That was his purpose in life. That's what God had him there for. And everybody in Egypt knew it. But people were only concerned about the here and now. As I, as I thought about this, I thought about the toilet paper. Everybody laughs because you know what I'm talking about. People were hoarding truckloads of toilet paper, diapers, you know, uh, uh, and it recently, baby formula. I know, I know, some of you were having difficulty finding baby formula. You know, <coughs> what? Why do people do that? Because all they are concerned about is themselves. We need to be diligent to keep our focus on the mark, and that mark is Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says, Let nothing be done through uh, strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let every, uh, excuse me, let each esteem uh, other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. They live for themselves. They live for themselves. Do you know what the result is when we live for ourselves? It's really pretty simple. We lose, we lose hope. We lose hope. And these people had no hope because they had lived for themselves for so long when tragedy and poverty came, they didn't know what to do. Look at verse 13 again. And there was no br- uh, bread in the land, and for the famine was sore, so, the, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the, for the corn which they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When we live for ourselves, we lose focus on God. And when we lose focus on God, we lose our purpose. We lose our resolve. Here, these people had lost their hope. Let me ask you a question. Where's your hope this morning? Now, I'm going to say something. Please do not take this as a political statement because it is not. I certainly hope that you're that your hope is not in Carson City or Washington, D.C. 
I don't, I don't care who the, who the political party in charge. It, it has none. It's not a political statement. I certainly hope you are not trusting in men to meet your needs. But this is exactly what was taking place in Egypt. Most of you know that I love statistics. I love, I love, my brain thrives on those things. I came across something I found to be very interesting. According to the Barna Research Group, I want to share with you four paradoxes regarding America's faith. Four paradoxes regarding America's faith. The first one is the success paradox. The success paradox. In one national study, Barna discovered that people view their view of success had little to do with their faith or spiritual wellness. They found that only 7% identified spirituality as a factor that will produce a successful life. By far, the American public focus on personal accomplishment, family solidarity, and emotional fulfillment as being successful. That's sad. And this, okay, let me, let me, right out of the gate, let me tell you, all of this data that I'm going to read is people who claim to be born-again Christians. The second paradox is the commitment <clears throat> paradox. Various studies conducted by Barna during uh, the 2000s point out how much Americans identify faith as a key factor in their life. Large majorities claim that their religious faith is very important in their lives and describe themselves as deeply spiritual. Yet, those same studies reveal that less than half of the people describe themselves as Christian also describe themselves as absolutely committed to the Christian faith. Less than one in every ten regularly attend a Christian church. That's a paradox. The next paradox, deception regarding truth. Almost everyone in the United States believes that truth exists. However, a large majority of both adults and teenagers, Christian and non-Christians, contend that there is no absolute moral truth. More than two out of three adults and more than four out of five teenagers argue that truth is always uh, relative to the individual and the circumstance. While most of those people describe themselves as being followers of Christ and say that the Bible is accurate in all its teachings, they nevertheless believe 
that truth is based on feelings, experience, and emotions. That's the last thing truth is based on. And then the fourth paradox, the contradictions regarding religious beliefs. More than four out of five Americans claim to be Christians and half as many uh, can be uh, classified as born-again Christians. Nine out of ten adults own a Bible. Most adults read the Bible during the year and a huge majority claim to know all the basic teachings of the Bible. How then can most people say Satan does not exist? That the Holy Spirit is merely a symbol? That eternal peace with God can be earned through good works? And that truth can only be understood through the lens of reason and experience? How can a plurality of our citizens contend that Jesus committed sins and that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormons all teach the same truths. They closed the article with a statement I wanted to share with you. In a soundbite society, you get soundbite theology. There's something wrong. Let me ask you again, where's your hope? Where's your hope? The people of Egypt had no hope. Joseph fed the nation, but it cost them. It cost the nation of Israel. First, I'm going to give you four ways, four ways that it cost the the people of Egypt. The first one is they lost their money. In verse 4, we read it just a moment ago. Joseph was was able to, to gain control of the monetary system. All the silver, all the gold, all the money that 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 was in Egypt was under Joseph's control, or let me rephrase that, under Pharaoh's control. They lost, they gave away their money for food. The people no longer trusted money because their money was worthless. I remember as a kid in elementary school seeing pictures of post-World War II people walking around with wheelbarrows full of money and it was absolutely worthless. When I uh, I had the privilege of going to uh, Ukraine uh, uh, about a year and a half or so after uh, the wall fell and <clears throat> going into an economy that had absolutely crashed. And you go in and 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 to buy, uh, we went in. We would go into stores and to to buy an appliance like a washer machine or a, or a dryer or something like that. It would cost in the millions of dollars because their their money was worthless. 
the smallest denomination you could get was a $20 bill. Anything below that was worthless. wasn't even worth a penny. When the money is worthless, it means nothing. So they gave their money to the Pharaoh. The second thing they lost, look at verse 15. And when the money failed in the land of Egypt <clears throat> and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Pharaoh and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in this um, in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you uh, for your cattle if money faileth. And they brought their cattle to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for uh, horses and for flocks and for the cattle and the herds and the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather have a steak than a loaf of bread. Just saying, okay? Uh, (laughs) Just saying. But but the point is this, there was no food in the land. So more than likely, <clears throat> more than likely their their cattle, their sheep and was dying because there was no way to feed it. If you remember back to the dream, the Pharaoh had two dreams and one of the dreams was that seven very skinny sickly cows ate seven healthy cows if you if you don't remember go back and read it but it's a fulfillment of pharaoh's dream now pharaoh not only controlled the monetary system but he also controlled the food chain pretty sad People could no longer trust their money. They could no, their possessions meant nothing because they were worthless. How good, what, what good does a cow do you if you can't feed it? Let me say this to you, those that are thinking like me, what, what good does a car do you if you can't put gas in it? The, four, the third thing that they lost was their land. Look at verse 18. When that year had ended, they came unto him the second, <clears throat> the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord... Also uh, hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes? But we and our land 
excuse me, both we and our land, buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will, the servants of Pharaoh, excuse me, will be the servants of Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph brought all the people of Egypt from Pharaoh, uh, excuse me, bought all the people of, of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. Several years of drought had taken its toll. Their land had become worthless. And they came, to, they came to Joseph and they say, hey, our land cannot sustain us any longer. Buy, buy our land so that we can live. It was, again, it was worthless. The fourth thing that they sold was their freedom. Look at verses 21 and 23. And as the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of the border of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priest uh, bought he not, for the priest had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them thereof. They sold not their land. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, there is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. <clears throat> Freedom. It cost them everything. It cost them everything. They live for themselves. And because they live for themselves, they had no hope. And they slowly lost everything that they had because they had no hope. Joseph moved them into the cities to make food distribution easier. But before we get too critical of Joseph... And they, boy, what a mean guy. He took everything away from them. There's three things, three things I want to point out. Three important things. Number one, he warned the people that the famine was coming. Everybody knew. And nobody, nobody had an excuse. He had, he had warned them. The second thing, <clears throat> is he fed them all. Nobody died. Well, we I'm sure people died, but you know what I mean. He fed the nation of Egypt. And then the third thing is, in every single instance, they came to Joseph. He did not go to them. They willingly gave up everything.
God used Joseph to save two nations. Point number three. So the first one is they live for themselves. Second point is they had no hope. Point number three, let's look at Joseph's family. Go back to verse 11. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them possessions in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph did what? He nourished his father and his brothers. They had no problems. Here around them in the nation of of Egypt, people were starving and they were giving up everything for a loaf of bread. But Joseph's brothers and his family were flourishing down in Goshen. More than likely, all of the cattle and the herds that were given to Pharaoh, guess who was taking care of them? More than likely, it was his brothers. So the, 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 the children of Israel were flourishing and prospering while everybody else was starving. Psalm chapter 34, verse 10. The young lions do lack and, and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. When I read this verse, the first thing that popped out to me was the fact that it, this verse does not say, uh, but they that seek the Lord will have everything they want. It doesn't say that. But the promise here is that God will be with us when we focus on him. See, the word seek here literally means to go after. When we seek the Lord, he'll meet our needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, but my God shall supply all your, what? Needs according to his riches and glory. Joseph had a purpose in his life. And I believe that that purpose <clears throat> was to save much people alive. The nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt. Now, let me, let me end with two questions and we'll be done. Two questions. Question number one, who or what are you trusting in? Who or what are you trusting in? Question number two. How do you find your purpose in life? The first one I can't answer. But the second one I can answer. How do you find your purpose in life? And that is very simple. Stay focused. Stay focused on God. If you will stay focused on God, you will find your purpose. And Joseph, Joseph was resolved 
because he stayed focused. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I am so thankful and so grateful for the work that you do in our lives. It is so easy in this world of chaos to lose our focus, to lose our resolve. And Lord, we ask as you, as we bring our service to an end, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would use this message tonight, this morning, to speak to our hearts and to show us that you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, we need Jesus in our lives. Lord, when we lose our focus, we will lose our resolve. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me let me ask you real quickly.